A fault is a weakness, a defect, a fracture. Faults divide, tear, and consume. Here in the city of Chester's chasm, we struggle to maintain that precarious balance over the precipice in the earth, in our lives, and in our hearts. This story is about four teenagers with faults of their own. The fault between my faith and freedom. The fault between my family and identity. The fault between my choice and my obligation. The fault between my life and death. As these fractures grow, we stand at the edge and ask what must we sacrifice to sate the void's endless hunger? Is it possible that the answer lies within all our faults? Greetings, and welcome to All Our Faults, a Monster Hearts 2 actual play podcast. I am your hostess and MC for the series, Mistress Winter. It has been a strange new skill set that I've learned editing tabletop gaming sessions into these podcast episodes. I'm sure my wife would say it's very akin to cooking. I take these raw three to four hour sessions, which I clean, cut, cook, and serve into several 40 to 60 minute plated portions for you to enjoy. Honestly, this audio editing thing is still witchery to me, as is my wife's cooking, but I'm learning more with each episode, and I hope it shows. To that end, this episode is the last portion of our group's first gaming session. The audio still sucks in places, but I promise that now that we're moving on to our more recent gaming sessions, it will get better. Thank you for your patience so far. Stay tuned at the end for more shoutouts and thank yous. Chapter 3. Gifts by Moonlight Michael, how are you spending your evening? Michael will go home, not eat dinner, probably see his brother, and then the second he can get away, sneak out to the club. Haven is a goth industrial music and dance club in the mall. You have to take the city bus to get closer to it before walking a couple blocks. We all have to make sacrifices. At least until you get another car, anyway. This club is down an alley around the back of a brick building. As you near its entrance, where a bouncer is perched on a stool near the door, you can feel this hammering beat spilling out through the door. The bouncer sees you approach and just nods his head toward the door. Hey, Frank. Sup, Mike? You looking to go home with someone tonight? We'll see. You never know. Well, stay safe in there, and he'll wave you on through. You enter into this shadowy area that is darkened further by the black lights and dark colored strobes and pervasive fog generated by hidden fog machines. The music increases tenfold as you reach the main club area and is not only thrumming in your ears, but making your entire being pulse with the beat. Hmm, finally. Marquia spots you from the bar. They are singing drinks for the thirsty few who have peeled away from the dance floor long enough to enjoy other pleasures. Who do I see? You see some regulars. There is Draken, i.e. Scott, who always comes to the club in a hood and a metal Terminator mask. 
you get the feeling he is a huge gamer, and this is his only social outlet during the week. Ah, so easy prey then. I'll look up. Hey. He's flailing around on the dance floor with no discernible style. As you flag him down, he jolts to a stop. Uh, uh, hi. Hi. Is it, is it Mike? Michael. Uh, hi. What was your name again? Uh, I am Draken. Right, Draken. Rhymes with bacon. Uh, no, like, like dragon and Drake. You're cute. Thanks. Wanna dance? Uh, sure. Uh, okay, yeah. Great, let's dance. Follow me. And Michael will start moving to the music, and his eye contact will linger. Um, And as time goes on, and they start to get in sync, I would like to try to use one of my vampire moves. Yeah, he's following along, matching your movements to the best of his ability. I'd like to hypnotize him, if I can. Okay. Is this with Dark? So I can hypnotize people who have no strings on me. Roll with hot. Uh, that is seven plus two is a nine. So they do exactly what I wish and have no idea that anything is wrong on a ten, but on a seven to nine, the hypnosis works, but I choose one. Um, they realize exactly what I've done to them. They fuck up my commands or their sanity is unhinged. Um, so I'm going to command him to follow me. And, uh, so his sanity might be a little unhinged. Where are you leading him? I think we're going to go into the bathrooms. You lead him off the dance floor, and he is still dancing, following your previous motions, and proceeds to follow you. Come, boy. He stops just short of going into the bathrooms. He visibly begins to shake, his eyes growing wide behind his mask. Uh, no, no, uh, unclean, can't, don't, don't use it, don't. Don't use me. Uh, Not clean. Not clean. Not clean. I will cup his chin and lock eye contact with him again to make sure he stays hypnotized. It's okay. Dragons have no fear, remember? No fear. No fear. All the fear. Fear me. Fearful. Fear you. He is locked up. Come. If I grab a hand, will he follow? And if he won't go there, then fine. We'll find a dark alley. That's okay. I just need to isolate him. You pull him forward, and he obeys, but he is still mumbling incoherently. Can I keep him quiet if I kiss him? Give me a turn someone on. Yeah, happily. Six. Damn. He's not pushing you away, but he's making no move to assist. I'm just so hungry, too. Up to this point, he's been completely compliant. Yeah. Well, if I can get away with it out in the open. I was just trying to get him into a stall so I could do it quietly. You can do that. You just won't be able to seduce him in this state. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, then I just was struggling to get him into a, into the bathroom. But if he'll go, it just is a struggle. Whatever, let's go. And then I will feed. What does that look like? I will lean in as if to kiss his neck. And then I'll grab the other side of his head and then just lick and then bite slowly. I mean, he probably doesn't know I'm doing anything but like nibbling on his neck and I'll drink. Um, and I have a vampire move, so I can at least control it somewhat. The feeding. 
where I get to feed on hot blood right from the source. And uh, this is the first time I'm feeding on this one, so uh, we both would mark experience. When I feed, I get to choose two. I could heal one harm, take a forward, and uh, they definitely don't die. So I won't kill this one, and I will take the forward, because I don't have any harm to heal. So this one gets to live, and I'll take the forward. And then I'll just lick the wound so it heals. Uh, uh, unclean uh, fear 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 fearful unclean uh, he's still muttering locked into whatever loop your hypnosis has put him into and then I'll walk out and go back to dancing <laughs> that poor kid that's not a me problem I'm already dancing I love that I don't even need the fake ID anymore this is great Ooh, anyone I know around that I like you have Marquis at the bar that you've conversed with a couple of times since you first started coming here. You have Jonas, who is the primary DJ, who looks like he's taking a break from the tables at current. I'll go check in with Marquia. Hey. Sup, sugar tits? Oh, I bet you say that to all the girls. <laughs> just you. Any trouble tonight? No, just been pretty hopping as usual. You want something? Uh, no, I never drink. Booze. So tell me. What's been going on lately? Any fun gossip? I heard someone had a fancy date over the summer. What do you mean? Oh, you know, I saw you get escorted up for a little VIP action. Maybe. Yeah? Got yourself a sugar daddy now? Not quite. I thought it would have been a little more interesting. That wasn't interesting? Well, interesting is definitely a word. It wasn't as long-lasting as I thought. <laughs> Those old geezers never are. That's no surprise. Hopefully you came home with a little bit of a reward of some kind. I think I need to roll to keep my cool. Okay. I definitely need to roll to keep my cool here. That is 12. You are as cool as a cucumber. Maybe one or two. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I am jealous, bitch. I suppose there are silver linings somewhere. You never know. I prefer gold, but that's just me. Besides that, nothing big that I've heard. We're all done tourist season, thankfully. Fucking out of towners ruining our club. Yeah. Have you seen him lately, by the way? He hasn't been here. Okay. I've heard tell that some of his business interests are ramping up. Good for him. Sure. You all right? Yeah. It's better this way. If you say so. You know, you're always welcome here, being one of my regulars. Thanks. This does always feel like home. Hell, you tend to bring in more of our patrons than our advertising. I do what I can for my friends and neighbors. Is the VIP section still open? Not occupied at current. Thank you. We'll chat later. See you around, sugar tits. Crispin. At home, you get in... And you only have a moment to decompress before your father's voice booms across the house. Son, to my office. Crispin takes a deep breath to steady himself and takes very slow, measured steps across the house to his father's office. And he doesn't say anything when he gets there. He just steps inside um, and folds his hands behind his back and just waits. Your father, Silas, is a stern-looking man. His hair is slicked back, not in a greasy way, but in a clean-cut, well-groomed kind of way. He wears a suit 
everywhere, tie and all, and a nice little cross tie clip. <laughs> the eye rolls are so hard right now. <laughs> He's busy writing as you get into his office. He makes you wait at the threshold as he finishes. Come in. Close the door. Crispin very gently closes the door um, and takes a seat across uh, the desk from his father. And he sits on the edge uh, as, as though he cannot physically wait to get up from this chair and leave. He caps his fountain pen and sets it aside. He folds his hands and leans forward onto his desk to speak to you. Crispin, you are coming to a very important age. Yes, sir. I'd like to say that you are ready for these responsibilities that will be expected of you, but I'm not convinced. Sir? Your attendance at church has been minimal. You have not gotten involved in any of the social events, and that concerns me. It calls into question your commitment and dedication and devotion to the true cause that we have dedicated our lives and our families to protecting. He stands from his desk and moves to a display on one wall in which he has this large club. It is smoothly tooled, almost reminiscent of an oversized billy club. Along one side of its matte black coating are a series of circles or pips that increase in size toward the top of the club. You know what this is? I do, sir. And you know what these circles mean? Yes, sir. They represent the generations of our family who have been dedicated into this service. Yours would be the eighth. My concern is that this eighth is in jeopardy. That our family traditions, our family lineage will be broken. Do you want that? There, There's just too long of a pause before Crispin says, No, no, sir. Take this. He holds it out to you. Oh, God. Uh, Crispin will, like, go to take it and then pull his hands back. And, like, he is visibly struggling with, like... I don't think he's ever been allowed to touch this before. And so he takes that deep breath and finally, very gingerly, reverently, like as if it were a newborn, takes it from his father's hands and just kind of holds it in that way that people who don't understand babies hold newborns, as if they're going to drop them, (laughs) Uh, which in fact makes them more likely to drop, but it's fine. He's trying his best. I'd like you to roll to keep your cool. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. Okay. Oh no. Seven? (laughs) I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. So much not, worse. <laughs> you know that if you were to drop the club, fumble it in any way, it would be proof positive of your lack of commitment to the cause. Violence would ensue. What do you do? Um, oh gosh. I think my grip becomes stronger. Like, I go from, like treating this thing like a newborn to like strangling it because if, if it falls out of my hands uh it's game over for me and i think just in a like reflexive defensive maneuver clutch it to my chest as like a to keep it from falling on the ground um and i bow my head 
Crispin is almost collapsing in on himself because he doesn't want his father to see that he's like panicking. And so he's trying to pass it off as like a gesture of reverence for this object. So you do feel it. You feel the weight of this responsibility, of the power that God will grant you as you fight for his cause. Yes, sir. I, um, I apologize for disappointing you. I have thrown myself fully into my attempt to understand this world as it is so that I may be of greater service to our cause, but I see now that I have... I see now that I, I have I have disappointed you and the path that I thought and his words start to falter as as his his brain is just he wants so badly to ask his father any question to to get any kind of to just have a conversation uh, that he knows will never happen and so he allows himself to fall silent for a moment and foregoes explaining himself and just says I apologize for failing you. If there is one thing that God has in abundance is forgiveness, and you seem repentant, still, I am not yet a confessor for our order. You must go seek Father Miller's counsel and inform him you are ready for your first vigil. Crispin's face goes, like, stark white at that proclamation, and he just stares at his father for a moment. And without thinking about it, goes, now? Now? You want you want me to do that now? Tonight? I do believe the father is occupied this evening. You can go in the morning. Crispin tries really hard not to be visibly relieved. Um, and he says, uh, yes, yes, sir. And he goes to hand the club back to his father. He takes a hold of it, but uses it to yank you closer. You are my son and you will pay all manner of respect and honor that I am due. Yes, yes, sir. You may depart. Uh, Crispin does his best not to fully sprint out of his father's office. He closes the door very gently behind him, um, takes a few steps, and when he cannot physically contain himself any longer, he will sprint out the door past his mother... He's not going to go far. It's it's getting late. He's going to find himself sort of behind the house. And there's just this one corner between the house and the shed where the security light doesn't reach. And he's just going to sit there and have a silent panic attack. And he's going to look down at his hands and see like the deep pressure marks in his palms from where this club, where he was clutching it so tightly. And he's sure there's one in the center of his chest where he was hugging it, and he just, he sees the faint outline of the dots pressed into his palm, and he's going to sit there and just try for, it's probably going to take a good half an hour for him to just re-regulate enough to, like, go in quietly and, like, go to his room and just try to exist beneath his father's notice for the rest of the evening. Beautiful, in a kind of heartbreaking way. You okay? I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, my boy, my boy's going through it, man. <laughs> so, Michael, you were still at the club? Yes. 
And you had asked about the VIP section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to go over to the VIP section and just leer for the evening for a little while. You know, like you do. Michael. Oh, God. Yes? In the flashes of stage lights and strobes, you get glimpses of your maker, Vega. Michael. Yes, Master. Where is my boy? Here, sir. I demand to feed. Yes, yes. And, um, Michael will stand and walk from the VIP section to the dance floor through the crowd. Bring me someone delectable. You know my desires. Yes, of course. And Michael will proceed to find someone who looks like him again. You find a young, blonde-haired, very athletic man who seems to be very much enjoying himself. Mm Mm-hmm. A little old, but he'll do. And I will start to dance in time with the music, make eye contact, and engage. You can denote a note of resistance. Perhaps masculine-presenting people are not his forte or persuasion. I can still try to turn him on. I'm androgynous. (laughs) Yes, you can. There's nothing that says you can't. Let's see how it goes. Just saying that every blonde boy you run into may not be gay. No, of course not. But Master doesn't really care now, does he? No, he does not. (laughs) That'll be a 14. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinker. Hmm, I'm just that good. As you hook his gaze, you hypnotize and coax him into a more intimate proximity. And I didn't even have to use my powers. Master will be pleased. When he's good and engaged, I guess I'll start leading him in the correct direction. And which direction, pray tell, is that? It is out a side door, an emergency exit that has been deactivated forever, including during your own date this past summer. And I guess I'll lean into his ear and I'll be like, Follow me. I want to show you something. Yeah, okay. Hmm, good boy. And still dancing, I'll take him by the hand and lead him along. I I should probably tell my friends. No, don't worry. This won't take too long. He will follow along hesitantly. Outside the side door, there is a familiar black SUV waiting. Come, and I'll open the door. I don't really think I should. I uh, will lean in and nibble his neck. I won't bite. Just nibble. It's okay. I've got you. Yeah, okay, it's a party. Yeah, you first. Uh, He'll climb inside. And I will follow, closing the door. The SUV will take off toward where your master is currently nested. And I will lean over and um, throw a leg over his lap. (laughs) I'll just keep him occupied for the ride. Who needs to speak? The ride is made long only by the numerous lights and evening traffic of Chester's chasm. Is there any booze in the back of the car? Yes. Good, I'll hand him a drink. And let him drink while I am occupying him at the same time. Getting him to lower his ambitions as he grows slowly more inebriated is fairly easy. Eventually, the SUV will come to a stop 
outside a tall glass building. We're here. Come on up. Where's here? My place. I wanted to take you home. I've never done this before. That's okay. I'll be gentle. Uh, But we'll go back to the party after this, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I promise I won't bite you. Uh, All right. Come. He will follow you into the building. There is a system of assistants and guards who silently guide your path, like pressing the elevator button and making sure you don't need to ask where you're going. The elevator scales the building to the 17th floor. It opens into an apartment that takes up the whole floor. Dark woods and steel paneling with their dark notes and pops of sinister color create a dramatic atmosphere. I still remember when I found this impressive. I will uh, bite his lip a little and uh, take him by the hand and uh, come on, big boy. Let's go. Follow me. (laughs) You, You live here? This is like some uh, Dracula stuff. (laughs) You're so cute. Come on. His steps falter some as his drunken state has reached its peak. You arrive at these ornate doors with dragons carved into them. Through here. Come. And I will open the door and let him go through. You open the doors to sheer darkness. Your vampiric eyes easily through the darkness, like a fading fog. You can see everything in fine detail, including your master, who has risen from his desk at the far end of the room. In a quick motion, your master flashes forward and grabs the young man by the throat and yanks him back into the darkness. The doors slam closed, leaving you on the outside. And I'll pause for a moment turn around and head towards the elevator, I assume I'm not wanted, and go home? As you head toward the elevator, you note a small coffer, like a change box. It is a design that you've seen before. It's where your master puts little rewards for you. I guess I'll look inside. What's in it? Inside is a key fob for a car. I'll pick them up. They bear the logo of a Mercedes-Benz. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see which one it was outside. You get down to the lobby and a guard grabs your arm before motioning toward the garage attached to the back of the building. Oh, my mistake. Thank you. He simply nods and returns to his vigil. And I will head towards the garage. Once in the garage, you press the fob. One of the car's LEDs light up. It is this sleek Mercedes sedan. Very pricey and expensive looking. Well, I guess there are silver linings after all. And I'll hop in and drive almost home. Almost home? You know, no, I'll drive home. You get home terribly late. I'll park and simply walk in quietly. Gideon is snoozing away in his bed. Annabella has gone home for the evening. Your mother is still up on her computer in her office. You can see the glow of her screen from down the hall. I assume she won't notice me as long as I'm quiet. Give me a runaway. Hmm, okay. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, runaway is... Volatile. Volatile, okay. Then, that's a seven. You can make it up to your room, but you either run into something worse, you cause a big scene, or you leave something behind. I think 
I'm going to leave something behind again. What are you leaving behind? <laughs> the car keys. I'm going to drop them by accident. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I was like, what is the worst possible thing and the funniest possible thing I could drop? And it was the car keys. That is the that is the most interesting conversation to, I think, precipitate. Absolutely. I do think that like that evening, pretty late, um, but while we'd both still be up, Crispin would get a text from Celine. Just because they were friends. We did establish that, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah. Yes, we did. Okay. They are pretty good friends so that I feel like Celine tends to text him whenever she's particularly stressed out. Yeah. He would just get a text saying just kind of, hey, you up? And while she's texting him, she would be sitting in her bed with her sketchbook open, sketching, and what she would specifically be drawing is, I think, a portrait of Crispin. Aww. I think... Again, in an attempt to just exist as little as possible in the space of his house, uh, Crispin's phone is on vibrate. And he's probably seated with his Bible, pouring through some of his favorite passages, just trying to make sense of his life. Um, And when he feels the sensation of that vibration, he'll immediately pull out that phone, knowing it's Celine, because she's the only person who really, like would text him this late unless someone was literally dying Um, (laughs) and he'll say uh yeah yeah i'm i'm still i'm doing some work uh, but i i have a minute Uh, what's what's up she'll respond with just wanted someone to talk to feeling feeling kind of lonely so wanted to reach out crispin is going to crawl into his closet that he has sort of painstakingly soundproofed with like old clothing <laughs> <laughs> let me know if this is too no, sad no, please, please keep going, keep going. <laughs> the trauma <laughs> so Crispin will crawl into his closet that he has painstakingly soundproofed to the best of his ability with old clothes, old books, anything he thought would give him any modicum of privacy. And he'll call Celine and just say, hey, is, is, is everything okay? Celine will sound a little visibly shaken. It's definitely a lot better than from when she was with Willow and Carson, but she's still a bit shaken. So she'll just... Uh, yeah, yeah, or no, but it's fine. I just didn't want to be alone with my own thoughts. <laughs> okay, I mean, well, you're not, so what's, what thoughts are troubling you? Just something that happened today uh, after school. At school? No, after. <laughs> okay. You don't You don't need to worry about it. Um, how are you? Are, are you okay? You... Crispin will let that kind of misdirect go because he knows that he is not great at sharing. And so for Celine to kind of shake him off, he it's like looking in a mirror. He recognizes that like, nope, we're not going to go there. Uh, and so he's like, okay. And he just says, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. I just, um, I have to do some stuff before school tomorrow. So I wanted to, you know, just prepare a little bit but i'm i'm good you know uh it was it was good to see everybody today uh i I missed i missed being around people yeah yeah uh your book club 
same as always, just with new people. Should be an interesting year. It'll be nice to spend time with you again, though. Crispin's Crispin is trying so hard to keep his breathing regular. Like he's so deeply conscious of his body and any any cue that could tip someone off as to how he's feeling. He has learned through years and years to to school. So he he suppresses his breathing and he just goes, "Yeah. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good to spend time with all of you." Very specifically, not singling her out in any way. I, I recognize that dodge, and Celine would too. <laughs> game recognizes game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's still working on her sketch of Crispin, and she'll just, yeah, yeah, and with everybody else too, for, for sure. Would you want to hang out sometime? Just, just the two of us? Oh. Oh, uh... Sorry, if that's, if that's too forward, we don't, we don't have to. No, I just... No, uh, I mean, um, let's, uh, I, yeah, let's do that. Let's, um, you could come, no, um... We could just go, like, somewhere to park or get food or something. I don't know, I just, I feel safe around you, and, uh, that's hard to come by for me lately. Uh, oh, uh, that... Um, thanks. Thank- no, that was stupid. I'm sorry. I- that was- uh, But if- if you don't want to hang out, just the two of us, I know I- No, no, no! No, um, I- what? Here, let's do this. Uh, I- so I'm busy tomorrow morning before school. That's dumb. Everyone's busy before school. Um, uh, why don't- I know. Okay, we'll do this. Do you want to come with me to the football game this Friday and we can cover it together? Sure, that that would be that'd be great. I would like that a lot. Okay, I'll um I'll I'll put it in the in the committee calendar, and it'll be uh, it'll be a, a team sport. It's a date. Crispin hates the joke he made so much. <laughs> put it in the committee calendar. <laughs> it's a team sport. I know it's great. So, Crispin has never hated himself more than he does in this month. Uh, he wishes hell was real so that it would open up and swallow him. Uh, after Celine kind of says, after all that, and says that, like, it's a date, kind of realizing how Crispin might react to that. She's just like, or not like that. Unless you wanted it to be like that, I wouldn't. It's whatever. Yes, a Friday football game. For sure. It takes Crispin a few seconds to process the word date, and then a few more seconds to, like, remember to breathe. So when he finally, like, dials back (laughs) into what Selene is saying, he gets the impression that she's about to try to end the call, and he's gonna be like, Hey! Uh, I have have some stuff I want to do, and it sounds like you have some stuff you're trying to work on. Do you just want to, like, um, stay on the phone and work not together? Yeah, that... That'd be really nice, actually. Okay, uh, give me, give me, like, one minute. And Crispin's gonna, like, claw his way out of the closet and go grab his little Bible, um, and his little reading light, and he's gonna make himself a little nest, and he's he's just gonna be like, alright, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, um, be here. I will, too. And I do think that, like, yeah, Celine will stay on the entire time, 
However, eventually, I, I figure they have like short conversations or say things every now and then. Yeah. But they're kind of focused on their own thing. Eventually, Celine stops responding, and it's because she's fallen asleep. Crispin, you can, after a monumental silence, you can hear her breathing become pretty regular. That kind of. Yeah. I think once Crispin clocks that Celine has fallen asleep, he will let himself just listen to her breathing for a few minutes, and then he'll say very quietly and very reverently, sleep sweet princess, and then he hangs up the phone and goes to bed himself. Thank you, as always, to the Tabletop Tailspinners Network and director Emma Kokar for giving us a home. A shout out to you, our listeners, for continuing on this journey with us. Several of us were fortunate enough to attend PAX Unplugged recently, and we were overwhelmed by the amazing TTRPG community represented there. If you are coming to our show because we connected with you at PAXU, welcome! We are so happy to have you here. While at PAXU, I attended a talk given by Matthew Mercer of Critical Role fame. He said something very profound near the end of his talk, and it has resonated with me, as I hope it resonates with you. Matt said, You never know the impact your joy will give to someone else. We find immense joy in creating this story, and we hope that it sparks something positive in you and those you share it with. We here at AOF and TTN wish you the happiest of holidays and the brightest new year to come. Thank you for listening. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying! This is gorgeous! Oh. <laughs> my face is so red! <laughs> oh, that was Oh, that was beautiful. And that's uh, why my characters get all the bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already loving this. Oh, yes. loving this so much. Uh, character romances. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it. I was like, I really need to use these character relationships more. And the only one that's really established right now is Crispin. And I was like, and it can add so much drama if she just starts flirting with him in her like odd way of just she's kind of into him. And I was like, I'm going for it. Yeah. I am so glad you did. Odd. (laughs) Odd is my jam. Let's go. (laughs) You're speaking my language. Yes. Yes. All right. This has been a tale from the Tabletop Tailspinners Network.